You ever have that feeling where you're not sure if you're awake or still dreaming? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. The idea that has always fascinated me about dreams is everything within that dream is created by your own mind as you experience it. You remember the chance to build cathedrals, entire cities, things that never existed, things that couldn't exist in the real world. Have you ever had a dream, Neil, that you were so sure was real? Once you were able to wake from that dream, how would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? Hello and welcome back to the Lucid Dreaming Podcast. This is episode 26 and um, I just got back from San Diego from the Consciousness Hacking Meetup there where I did my talk and we had a panel with a, f- a couple other uh, really cool people, Leslie and Richard, and it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was a great turnout. Um, There's a lot of great questions. People were interested in the audience. It was, uh, it was awesome. Richard brought... Um, Richard is a sort of a lucid dreaming guy from San Diego. He brought a whole slew of lucid dreaming paraphernalia and did like a show and tell table, which was uh, pretty awesome. I'll, I'll post a picture on it. Um, you can see it in the show notes. And uh, it was really, really well done, really well organized. It was uh, a lot of fun. And um, I'm actually, uh, the, on the weekend before that, I attended a dream yoga workshop by Andrew Holacek, which I had on episode 14. I interviewed him. And in this episode, I'm talking to Mike Lamberti. And we do mention that it was right, we recorded it right before I went to the workshop. So we do mention it. But in the episode, I talk about it as if I haven't been there yet, because that was recorded earlier. And so I did go and it was awesome. Uh, Andrew is uh, fantastic. So and check out the episode. I'll, I'll link to it back. It's episode 14. Um, I think it's worth uh, worth listen if you haven't heard it before. Um, a few more updates on uh, Sunday. Again, I'm going to go up this coming Sunday, the, uh, the 7th, February 7th. I'm going up to Santa Barbara to do uh, a talk about lucid dreaming and the device I'm working on at the Consciousness Hacking Meetup over there. So if you're in the area, please uh, attend. Um, links will be on lucidsage.com slash 26 of the show notes for episode 26. So that's going to be awesome. I'm really enjoying doing this thing. Um, not, just, not just talking about lucid dreaming, which I obviously, as you can hear, enjoy tremendously, but um, getting a chance to talk to people and getting questions, audience, audience questions is, is pretty awesome. Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, for today's episode, I have Mike Lamberti, um, who is, uh, as we, we get into it, um, was a listener of the show and reached out and we sort of connected and um, developed a, a relationship and he ended up starting to write for uh, lucidsage.com as a second writer. Uh, so he's really, uh, uh, really quite uh, perceptive and I think has a good voice about this subject and has some interesting experience and what I think is the most captivating is that he really only started lucid dreaming re- relatively recently, just in the ca- last couple of years, but dived into it. And he's a great example, as he mentions as well, uh, as, a, as someone who's just a, you know, just a regular guy who just got into it and just picked it up. Um, and, and so can you, as he says. So take a listen to the episode. We go through all sorts of um, topics. We're all over the place, but it's a fun conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. The audio, the audio quality, I promised last episode that this will be different. But uh, alas, um, Mike has not had his headphones connected. So that created feedback on his side. Darn it. Damn you, Mike. Um, I will learn for next time. I should have trusted my instinct and known to tell him to plug his headphones in. All right. It's not too bad again. All right. Take a listen. Hope you like it. So today I have with me an awesome guest, uh, Mike Lam- Lamberti. Yep. 
close enough. Um, and uh, Mike, you are this is this. I think our connection is very interesting and and part of reason. It it just kept accumulating in in new ways uh, of interacting. You were the first person on the pod, uh, listening to my podcast that actually reached out with with some message and, and an email through SoundCloud. Um, and you are now actually officially the second writer on lucidsage.com. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I only found that out pretty recently that uh, that I was the first person to reach out. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm glad that now we actually get get a chance to talk on the podcast. And this is definitely the the intention, as I as I mentioned before, is to just have a random conversation about a bunch of topics. Uh, but I think you are an interesting case um, of someone who, if I remember correctly, you didn't have lucid dreams as a kid, and you started really just relatively recently, just last year, you started diving into lucid dreaming and and picked it up relatively quickly. Is that accurate? Yeah, more or less. Um, I I recall um, having a lot of interest in dreams as a child, and um, I wouldn't say my dream recall was consistent but um there were there were some um really really heavy hitting dreams even one from from being about five years old that i could always remember and um i think i read about lucid dreaming for the first time in 2010 in um, steve volk's book fringeology i I had a lot of interest in um death and dying and near-death experiences at the time and that was um something he got into in that book but uh, I found myself a lot more captivated by the chapters on um, lucid dreaming and meditation. And um, unfortunately decided that I was far too lazy to ever do anything about it. And so uh, it just went kind of, uh, kind of forgotten about. I think I, I kind of sort of had a lucid dream um, in a hotel in Halifax one night where uh, I was um, doing the dishes and then realized that, oh, they could just be doing them themselves like you know professor xavier would uh, do the uh, the dishes telepathically in x-men and, and forgot all about it until um life got kind of hard in 2013 it would have been fall of 2013 where um my my life uh, i i think the best dis- analogy would be like one of those old uh country music songs where your your woman's run off to Mexico, your truck's broken down, your your dog's died. That was kind of uh, the subjective experience of it. And um, one of the side effects of that was uh, was terrible sleep, really, really bad dreams that I'd wake up from uh, about two hours after uh, going to bed and not being able to fall asleep. So, I, I mean, I made the decision instead of uh, becoming an alcoholic or something like that to try and, you know, make something out of this uh, bad situation. And given all the, the trouble I was having going to sleep and how foundational sleep is um, to good health and, and um, you know, a good life, lucid dreaming sounded like uh, like a pretty good place to start. And now about two, roughly two and a half years later, um, yeah, that, that initial impulse was absolutely right. Um it's diff- it's very very difficult to quantify or or even qualify based on you know just the the complications of of an everyday life but um i think lucid dreaming has um in terms of a way to improve one's life in my case at least has really um lived up to uh a lot of its potential and and some of the advertising that you see yeah so so your your uh washing the dishes dream was that your first lucid dream I, I think so. I mean, this was this was before um, really trying any kind of technique or putting any effort into it. Um, lo- you know, looking back, what I know now, the, the few things going in my favor that night were um, I, I was in the process of, of moving back to Toronto. So I was sleeping in uh, a hotel I'd never been in before. I had, I think, just the right amount to drink that night where I, there was a bit of a REM rebound. And... Um, it wasn't so much the awareness of of being in a dream there was a little bit of that but more so the awareness that um the typical rules of physical reality didn't apply and <laughs> and it was as as kind of fun as it sounds yeah it's interesting, yeah, it's interesting that, that um in a this elsewhere, elsewhere that, that traveling, traveling or sleeping, or sleeping in, a in a new place uh, seems, uh, seems to, to uh, uh, increase, increase the chances, the chances of a lucid dream, of a lucid dream uh, oddly uh, enough uh, yeah, and, and I think the the best um, theory as to why that that may be that I've come across is that um, 
there's a kind of um, familiarity we have with our typical um, sleeping locations that allows us to to really really put our guard down um, in, in a very subtle way if you're asleep in your room there's just things you kind of take for granted in terms of your own safety and, th and stuff like that and i mean you know this this hotel was not um an unsafe place or or most of the places that uh that we sleep aren't unsafe places but we just haven't built that um i guess unconscious comfort level there so there's uh the retention of a greater awareness even when we fall asleep I, I found that um, a pretty plausible explanation as to to why sleeping in strange places may um, may increase lucidity. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. I, I never thought of that. I like it. That, that makes some sense to me. Um, so you, uh, this is interesting because uh, from our our very first uh, sort of email conversation, you have dived headfirst um, headfirst into into lucid dreaming, and ever since you've. Uh, uh, you started a blog, uh, Lucid Scheming, and um, you've uh, you've went to a, um, a retreat with Stephen LeBurge. Uh, you've been uh, a subject of of a scientific study on lucid dreaming, it's where you uh, interviewed um, the the researcher, which is the the one that's posted on on the blog, uh, and and uh, even started uh, giving sort of little. Um, workshops in in Toronto, right? Yeah, that's right. I've actually uh, I've been to two um two workshops now with Stephen LeBerge, and um, wow. the second one was with Andrew Holacek as well, uh, a somewhat prominent um, dream yoga writer whose new book is coming out. So I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, I think that'll be uh, that'll be summer of this year. And and at that um that second retreat, uh, one of the other participants was um doing his uh his postgraduate work in, um, I think it was neuroscience and cognitive science. His name was, uh, was Benjamin Baird. And uh, I went to Madison, Wisconsin in late November of, uh, of 2015 for two nights um, to try to have a lucid dream in the sleep lab there, to un and which was unsuccessful, by the way. <laughs> It's tough. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was really tough. And there's, um, there's pictures of... Uh, of the rig that you have to wear in the sleep lab uh, while, while you're trying to uh, to fall asleep on, on lucid scheming and, and i think uh, a few on on your website the lucid sage as well yeah um that you can see if anyone's interested it, it was um it was very rewarding and, and i enjoyed uh, the time i spent with ben I, I learned a lot about um neuroscience the the mri data that they took and um some of the cognitive testing that they did uh, of me as someone who identifies as is having lucid dreams, um, I think, will still be helpful to them, even though um, we weren't able to uh, to actually catch the lucid dream under those controlled laboratory settings. Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, I always quote the um, uh, Ursula Voss in her uh, in her talk on YouTube about the research, the original study at two thousand and nine. Uh, they it took them six months to get just three recorded lucid dreams. Uh, with with EEG on, I mean it's 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 really hard. Not only everybody knows how hard it is to to just have lucid dreams, but let alone in a lab setting with this head cap with uh, you know uh, tens of of wires coming out of it and and people watching you, and it's just it's just insane. It was uh, it was two hours every night to um, to glue all the sensors on and, and adjust the uh, wow. the cap and everything, and, and unfortunately. Um, a lot of it is just the kind of logistics that that get in the way that that first night uh, i think i barely slept at all it was um you know two flights to get from toronto to uh, to madison and um you know your, your eating habits and, and sleeping habits um, in my case kind of meditative routine it all gets sort of thrown off uh to to get to madison in a cost-effective matter man taking uh taking a flight and having to be at the airport at uh, at 6 a.m in the morning so um you know the deck is kind of stacked against you i i, I could just be telling myself this it may be a little self-aggrandized <laughs> one or two nights more and i definitely could have nailed it because that that second yeah. night without without all those kinds of um additional logistical factors sleeping and dream recall became a lot easier, and and they were some uh, some bizarre dreams for whatever reason. So unfortunately, 
you know, I, I have a pretty standard uh, standard issue office job. Um, so I, I can only spare the two days. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that in terms of research, at the very least, that they should, if they can, accommodate for, uh, you know, travel affecting sleep, let alone jet lag. But what I suggested, I think I suggested, I told you that you should tell them is to send people the head cap to, to go to sleep with like a week before so they get used to sleeping with this thing on their head. Uh, and maybe then by the time they get to the this, this study itself, people are a little more used to it and can have an easier time going to sleep with it. That I think it would have helped in my case. Others may not find it um, so bad. I And we can get into how this has shaped um, some of the practices I like to do, but uh, I, I'm a very finicky sleeper. You know, I have one position that I, I like to fall asleep in and um, it, it wasn't exactly possible with all those wires sticking out of the back of my head. So there was sort of that to overcome too. And, and it's interesting actually, I, and I think something that goes uh, goes overlooked how um, when it comes to you know picking an induction technique or or the different ways that someone wants to um, try to become lucid i think one of the places to really start and to factor in is is so what exactly is it like for you when you fall asleep what um what are some of those important conditions for you that lend themselves well to uh to falling asleep and to staying asleep and to falling back asleep because i mean no sleep no dreams yep I mean that's a that's a great point because that, and that's uh, not mentioned that often. I mean I did do, do the episode called Prerequisite for a Dream, which is just about quality of sleep. But the patterns of sleep uh, are are always neglected because it's different for different people. Uh, some people sleep on their back, some people sleep on their side. But also what you're saying is, and 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 my example is is the same where. Uh, I fall asleep one way, but it, during the night I have a whole pattern where I wake up and I have to switch, um, usually just toss from one side to another, and I sleep on my front. But even sleeping on your front, you're sleeping on your front aimed at the right direction or aimed at the left direction, depends on how your head is on the pillow. And so it, it really makes a big difference, especially if you can't sleep that way. That's why one of the reasons why the sleep masks don't work for me because when I sleep on my side, it presses on the side of my head. And if I'm wearing a mask, it pushes it off center and things like that. Um, so that, that definitely is important. I had the exact same problem with, uh, with the sleep masks. I, I've lasted uh, approximately three hours in one. It, it's just you know not going to work for me. And, and I don't want to discount the fact that for other people, none of this is an issue. Uh, my, right. my mother, for example, in times of stress, unlike me, she'll she'll just kind of sleep forever. That some people are more prone um, to that rather than um, than my sort of propensity for for insomnia in times of, of stress and you know um, when my sleep is is interrupted and things like that. Yeah, it's something um, aspiring lucid dreamers or those trying to get a little bit better at it. Um, I think it can get a little overlooked, but um, I, I think it's it's pretty foundational to um, to how well you're going to do with this. I and and it's ironic to think about now, but in some ways I, I may have been a little bit fortunate to decide to really go at this um, during a time when my my sleep was so crappy and interrupted anyway, because I, it's not like I had anything to lose. Whereas I, I think sometimes with some of the induction techniques, it's certainly possible that people may find um, the sleep interruptions at first as they try to strike the right balance between, um, you know, effort and letting themselves fall back asleep a little bit too much and, and just abandon um, the practices and the effort altogether. Yeah. I mean, the sleep the sleep interruption is, is an interesting one. And I just saw, again, people keep reposting that this article about how people who hit the snooze button more often have more lucid dreams. And I think there's a, there's a, a I don't know if it's really a causation correlation issue, but I think that the, they're misinterpreting the data, meaning um, I think there is a connection to waking up and going back to sleep. So interrupting REM, most, uh, most alarms or snoozes are like nine, 10 minutes or something like that. So you, you're not going through a full cycle. And so um, getting some wakefulness and then go back into sleep, especially if you're going back into REM, can help you know, facilitate uh, lucidity, 
but it's not just about the snoozing per se. It's just it's just like in techniques when you wake up at five a.m. with a wake back to bed and you know you go back to sleep. It's it's the same mechanism. Um, it's just like built into the system of alarm clocks in in some weird way. I don't know what what do you what do you think? Have you read this article? What do you think about it? Uh, not that particular article. Um... I, I think you're right, and, and I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, the data uh, regarding waking up with um, after about four, four and a half to six hours sleep, staying up for a bit and falling back asleep, has, uh, I believe that that's you're 20 times more likely to have a lucid dream after doing something like that, and that has been um, verified pretty stringently by by Stephen LaBerge's uh, Lucidity Institute, if I'm remembering correctly. And and that would be my my best guess, too, that, um, really, you know, it has nothing to do with um, the snooze button or, you know, how lazy you are in the morning or anything like that. It's just um, sort of tapping into that same mechanism where um, where you get up and inject a little inadvertently even, you know, have that period of wakefulness and some of that carries over if you fall back asleep. I've gotten to the point now where I, I don't do it on purpose anymore. But if I if I do wake up in the middle of the night and manage to fall asleep, uh, a lucid dream is um, is a pretty likely occurrence. So I, it's definitely uh, certainly a factor for me. Cool. Well, let me ask you this because I'm I'm curious uh, since since the vast majority of your um, interaction and practice in learning process of lucid dreaming is relatively recent. Again, it's not like you've been at it for 10 years or something like that. Uh, what was, what, what was the progression of your, your learning? I'm sure you started diving into this, into the subject. Uh, did you try different techniques at different times? Did you mix and match right away? And, uh, and I'm curious if you had anything particular that seemed to work better for you, that was very obvious. And we can talk about, um, I think you introduced into your practice, um, galantamine pretty early and we can talk about supplements a little later but but just give me the give me the general rundown well i i mean um and, and this was probably as much a strength as as it was a weakness but uh, i was very probably kind of depressed when i started so i was um i was more than happy to spend um entire weekends in the basement just pouring over uh books about lucid dreaming whereas you know i i, I don't know if that was necessarily the best thing to do or if, if most people are going to be uh, willing to do that. But uh, it's certainly got a lot of uh, you know, raw information into me very quickly. I think there's a point where the raw information stops being useful, though. I, I don't think lucid dreaming is something you can, um, can learn your way into. You, it, it's the first step, absolutely. You have to know it. Ex it seems to help to know that it exists, um, to have a solid intellectual understanding of, um, of the mechanisms at play, of what's possible, of, of what it's going to take. So I'd say that's, um, that's step one. You, you do need a certain baseline of knowledge with the understanding that, you know, that's only going to get you 20% of the way there. The next thing that um, I, I developed, and, and again, this was um, just as a result of how bad I was sleeping and, and the powerful, um, god-awful dreams at the time I was having, was uh, I, I developed dream recall very, very quickly. I, I mean, they were the kind of dreams you kind of want to forget. So that, um, that certainly helped. I would say that's, that's got to be um, step two or um, doing that concurrently, you know, at the same time as uh so, as reading the uh the lucid dream books so specifically a dream journal yeah yeah written by hand which i don't think is necessary i i just like doing it that way i um i had an old notebook lying around uh one one thing i think really helps and i don't know that everyone does this is um set it up before you go to sleep at night yep. and that just that makes the whole thing a lot more palatable so i would i would write the the next day's date and um, a, a pretty brief idea of, of what I wanted to happen um, if I got lucid uh, on that night. And, um, and from there, um, despite, you know, week, entire weekends spent um, pouring over just lucid dreaming material, uh, probably finding your podcast at some point um, in there. It took me, I think, three months from really, really trying to have a lucid dream to, um, to actually having one. And that was with recording my dreams um every single time i woke up in that um in that three month span which i i think is actually uh well above 
average in the sense of in a bad way. Like I don't believe it takes most people that long uh, between really, really wanting and dedicating themselves to having a lucid dream and, and actually having one. And the interestingly, the, the catalyst for um, for that first little uh, brush of success was um, was alcohol. Uh, I guess yeah. just just drinking the um, the right amount um, to kind of loosen up, stop taking it so seriously, and um, to have a REM rebound around you know after three um, three REM periods of uh, of sleep and um, you know waking up, going back to sleep um, again inadvertently, and it just uh, it just sort of took off in um, December of 2013. Interesting. Uh, it, it's, it, I mean, it, it keeps amazing. It amazes me. It amazes me how um, really different people react differently to all sorts of things, anywhere from techniques to the to the supplements, uh, even alcohol. So alcohol, even a little bit, disrupt my sleep uh, to an extent where it's just. I mean, I do get sort of crazy dreams, but I've not. Uh, they don't seem to be. Um, getting me any cl- closer to lucidity for some reason even if i wake up and go back to sleep it's just i feel too ag- my body's too agitated in some weird way uh same same with galantamine it has disrupted my sleep to i i do want to try it again but um it has disrupted my sleep uh, a little too much for actually i think being able to have a, a solid stable dream but i don't know Alcohol is not something I would condone as a, a lucid dreaming supplement. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm assuming everyone listening, uh, you know, if, or is either an adult or, or close to it, and, and they'll have to make their own decisions about, um, you know, what constitutes a responsible amount. But I, I think um, it's it's helpful, and unfortunately, with um, with the way that uh, lucid dreaming education and information is disseminated, it's it's you know for the most part, a few scientists and um, enthusiasts writing books that they hope are, are going to meet, uh, are going to reach as many people as possible. And so there's not really a lot of opportunities there to um, tailor some of the advice for uh, individual personality types and preferences and stuff like that. Right. That's fine. I think that was exactly as it should have been as it started. I mean, you know, Stephen LaBerge um, in the 70s and the 80s, first making these these discoveries i I think that was the the intelligent first step to um you know promote and disseminate the idea of lucid dreaming to a wide as wide an audience as possible i I bring this up because i think we're finally at the point where especially with um, the internet being what it is now i don't know that that's as necessary as it once has been so i guess the direction i'd really like to go with lucid dreaming is um is to focus more on what's going to work for individuals so i bring this up because in my case i i was um as it's probably coming across from what i've said um already probably way too tightly wound around the idea of lucid dreaming I, i don't think people should spend entire weekends pouring over books about lucid dreaming or making it their um sole purpose in life uh as i did on occasion and so for, for that kind of personality type, for, you know, the kind of person who's, who's overdoing it a little bit and, um, you know, the kind of person that just needs to get a little bit more grounded in the body, perhaps alcohol is good in that situation because it, it's a little hard to overthink things after, uh, after three drinks and, and you don't quite take things um, as seriously. So perhaps under those yeah. circumstances, um, it can be helpful. And, and again, the um, psycho, the physiological effects of, of alcohol on sleep are to um, are to repress REM. So if you if you have some drinks and you fall asleep, you're not going to um, enter into REM as much, I believe. But then following that effect wearing off. Uh, your your brain is kind of going to make up for lost time with REM, and so you'll experience uh, a REM rebound. At which point uh, it becomes, you know, your dreams get quite vivid and clear, and it's not a bad opportunity to um, to experiment with trying to get lucid. And it, it worked for me a couple times. Yeah, and it's important to to point out that it's just basically it's a it's one mechanism of of uh, several to create REM rebound. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, and I think uh, the, the point I wanted to mention earlier where you were saying about writing a dream journal is that it's still, um, oh, uh, first of all, the, I think that what you're saying about books, the internet, it's, it seems, and especially forums, I sort of took the place of providing people a platform to share experimentation. I think I think that's where that's where people started to say, "Hey, um, ha, has this worked for anyone?" I, I, I'm, you know, I have an experience in life. I'm wondering if it's uh, correlated because I suddenly had a lucid dream and people, anything from eating cheese to bananas to you know all sorts of uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, but that's where people pick it up and experiment, and then you know come back and say, "Hey, this worked for me. This didn't work for me." But and and it's so weird because a, a lucid dreaming in general is not a one size fits all for some reason. It's not like here's what you do and this will work and done and done. Maybe maybe with the exception of a few things that are that seems to be the at the core, the base, but that that which is why I recommend uh, dream journaling like all the time. But it's interesting that people in most cases will wake up in the morning and write down whatever they remember. But not when they wake up in the middle of the night, they won't stop to write. But if they're, if they're really trying to increase uh, dream recall, they can do that. And in fact, that happens to also at the same time, wake them up a little bit. And then when they go back to sleep, uh, again, they're, they're c- coming back in with a little more wakefulness um, back into uh, whatever sleep stage they're at. I, I, it's, it's really hard to, to predict. Yeah, I, I think um, dream journaling, it... Uh, it's sort of multi-purpose. It, it seems to uh, help in, in several different ways. I, you're, you're becoming more familiar with um, the kind of landscape of your mind. Um, if, you're, if you're writing things down and, and noting recurrences and, and just sort of the flavor of your dreams. I mean, you know, what tends to happen um, when I'm asleep? You, you start to get a bit more of a sense of that. And that can certainly help if, if you want to realize your your dreaming while you're dreaming I, I think that can help a lot if you're diligent um about recording in a, in a systematic way and and you know making notes about uh when you have more clarity in your dreams when when you get lucid in your dreams you may be able to uh to identify patterns like what i was talking about is it um when you've had three drinks is it is it when you've had four is it when you've had no drinks which is, is probably a lot more common um, is it when you let yourself sleep in? You can start to really pick up on that kind of thing if um, if you're diligent about um, taking a lot of data when when you're turning the lights off to go to sleep, when you're waking up and, and writing down your dreams. So that can certainly help. I mean, um, some of my sort of droughts with lucid dreams have occurred when I'm not getting adequate amounts of sleep. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> But it, it, I think it's the kind of thing that's easy to overlook, and uh, and my dream journals have kind of uh, suggested to me over over the years that um, anything less than than seven hours, you're you're really um, asking for a lot to have a lucid dream. On myself, anyway, under those circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm actually curious about uh, the whole movement of the quantified self, um, the gadgets, the apps, the the various methods of tracking. Uh, if 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 people could incorporate into already existing systems um, quality of sleep and then frequency of lucid dreaming, I wonder if we can get a little more aggregated data about what affects sleep and what affects uh, lucidity. That would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I would be very curious too. And I mean, the, the one downside, unfortunately, to doing all of this by hand is uh, I, I've yet to um, so work up the willpower to make a spreadsheet and, and you know track um, the number of lucid dreams I have by month and, and things like that because that would be really interesting to see. So that, that's one benefit of, of doing your dream journaling uh, electronically. You may be able to um, play with the data in a more scientific manner with, uh, with less effort. Yeah, I think that's what um, apps like Dreamboard and Shadow uh, are trying to do. And I actually, um, hopefully by the time this episode will be up than the previous episode that as of yet is not yet up uh the one with kelly bulkley um we're talking about his uh sleep and dream database and that's uh another another implementation of actually like aggregated data and seeing patterns for uh, um the collective but also these these other apps that are basically giving you your own patterns 
whether it's to find dream signs. Uh, and again, if you have, uh, if you're tracking other things as to see sort of the patterns of your behavior, your nutrition and other things, um, as when it comes to your sleep and, uh, and lucid dreams. That's kind of, I mean, the more, the more, the more of these things are developed, we're going to get into a higher level of accuracy with some of these things. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and that's a really good point. Certainly um, in those, those early months, um, dream signs and, and knowing them was, uh, was very helpful to me. Uh, and, and it can be anything in, in my case um, and they've disappeared lately, but uh, my dream sign was always, uh, was always houseplants. There would be houseplants growing in the um, the strangest places, and and you know houseplants I'd never seen before, and that I, there must have been uh, at least ten lucid dreams triggered that way. So so certainly that that familiarity with um, the content of your own dreams is uh, is one really good way to start having lucid dreams. I think it's it's almost like uh, you want to take a bit of a stage approach to it. There's, there's no point, um, I don't think, in, in really taking galantamine or, or um, shelling out the big bucks for, uh, for a dream mask or anything like that if you're not um, at least somewhat well-versed in, in some of the literature on lucid dreaming. Although you don't necessarily have to read. I mean, there's, there's podcasts and, and audio programs now if you prefer that. But some level of, of intellectual knowledge. And then um, I, I think dream journaling really, in some form really has to come after that. I... I that you may be out there and I'd love to hear from you, but I, I can't think of anyone really that um, has had a lot of success with lucid dreaming without um, some kind of journaling component, at least um, for the first couple of years. Yeah. I mean, the only cases I know of is just people with uh, very high vivid and very high dream recall, uh, which usually actually either, I mean, there are some, they are, I, I, I have spoken to, uh, the natural lucid dreamers, the, those do exist, those lucky bastards. Um, but but uh, the only other cases I know of are people who just happen to write a dream journal and do nothing but that, not even for the intention of increasing dream recall or if for lucid dreaming. They just, for psych psychological reasons, because they, they're interested in their dreams, maybe their psychotherapist asks them to write down dreams. For whatever reason, they're writing down their dreams on a regular basis, and um, dream recall goes up. And, and again, as my theory suggests, it's just a spectrum that once you cross a certain point on the spectrum, you start becoming lucid with no, uh, with not, without even hearing about what lucid dreaming is. Yeah, it's an entirely possible, and, and that that I have um, heard of people um, people that have been doing this all their lives, and, and they're absolutely stunned. To find out, um, to talk to someone who doesn't have lucid dreams, and, and they're like, "What do you mean? You, you don't, you don't control your dreams? That's that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard." Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, I wanted to ask you about the your workshops in Toronto. Like, what's the format and so on? Because, well, first of all, I, I should mention you. You were talking earlier about um, workshop uh, with uh, Stephen LeBurge and um, and Andrew Holacek, and I I should thank you again because you're actually you. Uh, tuned me into Andrew's stuff, and then I had him on the podcast. So basically, um, uh, thanks thanks to you, and the same with uh, uh, Kristen Lamarca, who is uh, an assistant at the Lucidity Institute and, and helps uh, Stephen with uh, with those. And she was on the podcast as well. So once again, you've been a, a valuable resource um, for all of my uh, lucid dreaming uh, ventures. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, really, I, it's, it was sort of out of self-interest more than anything else. Those were the things that I wanted to hear. So I, I kind of uh, pulled out all the stops to, uh, to try to make them happen. Perfect. I, yeah, I'm really glad it, uh, it worked out the way um, that it did. And, and honestly, I, I think there's um, some stuff in your interview with Andrew Holacek. I think it was episode 14 um, for anyone who's listening now that um, really it's things that he doesn't even get into in, in his audio program. And I would say that um, the, the Lucid Sage episode with him is, is the place to start um, for anyone interested in dream yoga. And then after you've heard that um, and you really like it, which, which most people do, go ahead and buy the audio program. Yeah, and I actually just found out today that he that I think that he will be in L.A. for a like two-day, two- or three-day workshop um, in Eagle Rock uh, on the 29th of January. So I might actually, I really just found out today. I, so I hopefully will be able to, to go to that. 
Um, so, but, but, uh, your, your sort of intro workshops or beginner workshops, like how, what's, what's the format? How do you go about these? They tend to, um, to last for about two hours. And, um, I, I guess the headline I've been giving them is, uh, is four foundational practices. They're, um, they're geared towards people that, uh, that are very new to lucid dreaming. I think that's all I'm really qualified uh, to teach right now. And, and it's um, a lot of the stuff we've, we've talked about now, uh, with the exception of alcohol. I don't want to kind of lay that on anyone who's a novice and have them thinking that that's the key <laughs> to it. Um, but those foundational practices are um, our dream journaling, which we've talked about, um, looking for, for dream signs as part of that, and um, doing reality checks, which is, you know, lucid dreaming one-on-one and, and what makes an effective reality check. Which I, I find that I tend to, it seems like, differ from, from some of the experts because I'm, I'm of the opinion that uh, the best one is actually to count your fingers. And, and my rationale for that is, um, you know, text. The classic one, which I think does actually in, in um, scientific tests have the highest uh, rate of success, is to, to read text in a dream, to look away and look back very quickly. And, and see if the text has remained the same or is, if it's changed in some form. And if it's changed in some form, um, chances are overwhelmingly likely that you're dreaming. But um, I, I find myself in situations uh, in dreams where, where there's not text that's readily available. So I, I tend to, um, on, on the occasions now where, where I still need to check because it, it seems like lucidity is a little bit more spontaneous now, I'll, I'll count my fingers. And, and if the answer is anything other than five, you know that that'll tell you something right there and and i think the other the other upside of um of doing it that way is um unlike text you know if you find yourself in a situation where you don't have hands that's kind of a dead giveaway right there <laughs> so yeah. we, we get into into that a bit those are are the two the two first foundational practices dream journaling and um reality checks the third is just an understanding of uh, of rem cycles and we get into the uh, the wake back to bed method a little bit. Um, you know, if people want to practice on weekends when they're they're not pressed for time in the morning, um, you know, when to wake yourself up, what to do um, in the th- that uh, thirty minute period when you're awake, and, and just an understanding of what some of the substances are that um, can really get in your way. You know, if you're drinking coffee and and coffee again, it, it's a really personal thing. Some people aren't affected at all, but. Um, you know, it, it affect it attracts a certain clientele where I, where I've been um, holding them. So so the hardest thing for people to grasp is um, the the sort of counter uh, counterproductiveness of uh, of smoking a lot of marijuana and uh, and trying to have lucid dreams because I guess um, you you would think that uh <laughs> they're both kind of psychedelic experiences but unfortunately um when, where rem is concerned it doesn't quite work that way and um it doesn't seem to produce rem rebounds like alcohol in quite the same way so we just have a, a little talk about you know dedication and, and um moderation and, and how that can help with uh, with lucid dreaming and then the fourth foundational practice and, and i've had to kind of experiment with different ways to to try to instruct and uh, introduce people to this in a very limited amount of time is uh, is meditation and cool. which i mean you know really deserves its own full two hours and so we, you know, we <laughs> practice just uh, kind of a five minute guided meditation to really get across the idea that um, whether we're awake or we're asleep in, in some very important ways we're kind of always dreaming it's always uh, a mental model of the world that we're interacting with and not so much the world itself. And, and just to kind of give people an idea of uh, what the texture of that is like, you know, when you're, you're trying your damnedest, especially if you're new at it, to meditate for five minutes and you keep having these thoughts pop up out of nowhere. And really, you can't even say that they're volitionally. I, I mean, you're, you're sitting there trying to focus on the breath and all of a sudden there's a, there's a Kelly Clarkson song playing in your head that you haven't heard for seven years. Well, that's not unlike the experience of having a dream. I mean, where do these things that we dream, especially, you know, dreaming about people we haven't thought of um, since elementary school, where does that come from? It's kind of um, kind of the same mechanisms at play. So I think meditation is is a really excellent. It, it's my sort of preferred um, induction technique, in, in the sense that it, it just seems to sensitize you a little bit to having lucid dreams because you get used to sort of 
maintaining an awareness um, in spite of or at the same time as you're experiencing the kind of random play of the mind. Right. I think it's. Uh, I think meditation is going to turn out to be really one of the one of the most you know beneficial or perhaps even crucial components for awareness and dreams and the connection should be obvious I think but I mean just to say that um, you when you look at dreams and the experience in dreams how erratic it absolutely is and you think it's the content that's erratic but the content is generated by your mind and I always thought why are dreams so erratic but you know waking life is so solid and static until I realized well the input in a dream is coming from your mind and your mind is erratic in your dream, but your mind is also erratic in your waking life. It is all over the place. You uh, you can't seem to control your mind, and unless you stop and try and look at it, do you even realize that that's the case? And that's exactly what happens, especially in the beginning of meditation. And the continuous practice of meditation is, uh, in large part, becoming aware of these, you know, background processes as well as stabilizing your mind even just a little bit. So it should be it should be obvious uh, that once you once you're able to do that more, um, there's enough stability in in dream to to actually uh, um, reach lucidity. Um, but is, when it comes to the workshops, I think that it's cool because a lot of people ask me like, oh, why don't you teach or why don't you write a book or do a, a course online or something? And again, my a big part is like I'm weary because there's just all the content's already out there. There's not a lot of new, and I guess. Also, the podcast was my way of uh, still, I don't know if teaching, but but giving in good information and interesting information about it. However, I think the exception is workshops because people get a chance to ask questions directly and interact in a way that's just putting putting content online is not as, um, as useful. Uh, so I, that's, I love that component of, of a live interactive workshop. People can actually clarify some of these things. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think one of the the very subtle um, benefits that I would say was was more prominent in the the overnight um, workshops that I attended uh, with the Lucidity Institute was there's something very powerful about um, you know being all in it together with uh, with a group of like minded people. Uh, like I said, you, you know, holding yourself up in the basement and and pouring over books. It might not be the best way, and, and part of that uh, has to do with, um, you know, I, I'm thinking, geez, am I a weirdo? I, I don't really know anyone else doing this kind of thing. Uh, what what are people that have a lot of lucid dreams like? I, I mean, do you get uh, really disconnected from you know, all of these these questions that can go through your mind? Whereas in those workshop scenarios, um, you may not like everyone necessarily or, or choose to hang out with them, but you, you do have uh, an immediate sense of um, what other lucid dreamers are like. And the answer is, well, just like you, you know, people trying to uh, get by day to day and, and thinking that this is something that at, at the very least will be quite fun. And my guess is that you you probably will like a whole bunch of them and, and be able to um, to share techniques and kind of encourage each other. That's I, I would think uh, a real issue in the West is some of our our cultural attitudes towards dreams. I think um, yeah. maybe play a pretty significant role in um, in why we don't have good dream recall and and. Um, why it's it's not just an easy natural thing to have lucid dreams uh we we treat dreams as as real afterthoughts the kind of um debris of the mind yeah and um so this is this is a rare opportunity if if you can find these um these lucid dream workshops in in toronto or anywhere else to um interact with a, a group of people that at the very least have um taken two hours out of their day to um to spend on dreams it, it's a much much different attitude um towards dreams and, and the uh, the goings on of the mind than, than you tend to find you know at your work for example yeah definitely well i wanted to i want to uh, just touch on um the whole concept of i think we've talked about it a little bit in the past um how the way i see lucid dream right now or lucid dreaming information and teachings and websites and, and content is like split into two. There's everything before you become lucid and trying to get lucid and all the techniques. I mean, it's almost, it almost the vast majority of it is the before lucidity. 
And then so there's and then there's after lucidity, which is not neglected, but it becomes almost the smallest part, even though that's the more more important part. Once people get lucid, what what do you do? What can you do? What's the benefits and so on? Um, so there's like the everybody who had just a few or still struggling are considered the beginner, and then you have the either intermediate or experts, um, so to speak, in lucid dreaming. I was wondering your your take on that that whole thing. Yeah, I, I would agree, and and it seems like most of that um, intermediate material um, it, it seems to center around um, dream control. Yeah. So okay, now that I'm lucid and and I can do that with um, some regularity, how do I do whatever I want to do in my dreams? That that seems to be the the bulk of um, of that kind of content, and and it's good. I I think it's it's a valuable skill, and um and something you definitely do want to develop this this kind of um relationship with your own mind uh where, where you can kind of uh, interact with it but um I, I guess the questions i've always been a little bit more interested in than, than how do i control my dreams although it may have um, something to do with that is um you know there were these these studies that I, I don't think were ever able to be replicated that um suggested that Loose, having having a fairly regular amount of lucid dreams, I don't recall the exact um, frequency, was, was very psychologically beneficial and um, mm-hmm. had uh, had a lot of positive effects on, on the um, big five personality traits in psychology. Uh, things like openness to experience and, and anxiety and stuff like that. Again, I, I don't know that those results really stood up to um, continued um, scientific scrutiny but that's that's always what I've kind of been interested in about lucid dreams. How how do I make this something that's going to enrich my my waking life? You know, if there's kind of, and and they've touched on that a little bit. I, I think Stephen Leverage did uh, did really great work, even in, in some of the earliest work on lucid dreaming about um, using them to to face fears and and repress um, shadow material things like that. The dream yoga tradition um, gets into that a little bit too. Andrew Holacek's um, audio program would be a good place for, for people to start if they really want to um, use lucid dreaming as a platform to work with the mind. What I'd really like to see is um, a very systematic approach. What are what are the best ways to, um, you know, effect transformation in your own life through lucid dreaming? And that I don't think really um, really exists yet. It seems like it's it's more at least from the literature I've read. Um, you know, occasionally you'll find yourself in in dream scenarios, and and you'll have a chance to you know hug a, an ogre or something like that, and they'll, <laughs> they'll dissolve into light. And uh, and that and maybe that is um, the extent how it works. You know, sometimes you just find yourself in those scenarios. But um, you know, for someone like myself that was was trying to work through some heavy stuff at the time. There was not really a lot out there that I found helpful in, um, you know, setting my expectations or um, kind of pointing me towards what the most uh, what the most efficient ways of doing that would be. Or, or I think what's really important when to just kind of lay off and, and have a good time and, and not let it become this uh, obsessive compulsion to, you know, better yourself that that actually ends up getting in the way of having lucid dreams when when you're so hell-bent on fixing yourself you can't fall asleep or something like that so i i mean i did does that make sense at all i certainly have some idea what that that might um look like no i think that makes perfect sense and uh, i think that again part of the problem is that we're only scratching the surface with some of the experiences and the possibilities and the effects of various you know, interactions uh, in a lucid dream on our lives, our bodies, our minds, and so on, especially our psychology. But um, I think part of the, the, the problem is that just not enough people uh, have had enough amount of time to explore this realm in order to really kind of test it out fully, let alone in, in research and scientific uh, approach, but even just experientially, which is the, the crucial component. And uh, as as soon as lucid dreaming, sooner or later, will become ubiquitous ubiquitous enough and easy enough to do, uh, I think the the just the reports will will pour in from everywhere, uh, and we'll start start seeing and knowing and learning more about it. But in terms of 
I, I say this all the time, at the very le- least, just um, changing your experience and dreams from benign, uh, let alone negative, to positive ones has a tremendous effect, let alone when you get into specific actions or specific interactions or specific scenarios that you create or, or try to achieve or you know change uh, anything anywhere from, from getting over nightmares uh, and getting over fears to exploring your, your psyche in one way or another. So, I mean, it's just um, the book has not been written on that as far as I'm concerned. So remain, remains to be seen. That's where I'd like to uh, to kind of see it going. I mean, I can remember uh, one one dream I had about um, getting into this this awful car accident, which um, you know descended into a lot of family infighting and stuff like that. And just uh, I don't think I'll ever forget the feeling of, of becoming lucid uh, under those circumstances and just the stress washing off to the the incredible feeling oh of, yeah wait i didn't actually get into a car accident you know i i all these things i was worried about i don't actually have to deal with filling out these forms and everything like that it, it was probably the most relaxed i'd ever been that morning after uh, after waking up so yeah and, and that's just scratching the surface something um something that felt that good is is not even um the end result and I think the the approach that I intend to take over um, over the next few years, at least, is to um, study, I guess, more conventional ways that um, we try to affect change in our lives. So next month, I'll be um, getting my certification as uh, as a life coach. I've I've picked up a lot of um, of books lately on um, human development and um, post conventional. Um, states of development in adults, adult learning, things like that. I, I My guess, my hypothesis is if um, I really steep myself in that material uh, while continuing um, to think long and hard and to experience that lucid dreaming, I'm hoping that um, that some real techniques or at the very least some theories will will make themselves apparent as to um, how to how to really maximize some um, lucid dreaming as as a tool for uh, for personal growth and transformation without falling into the trap of um, you know being way way too tight with it you know I have to have a lucid dream tonight because I'm I'm an inadequate person and I need to get better how, you know how can we avoid that kind of deeply unhelpful attitude well. Um, making the most of, of our time of sleep. I love that. That's that's perfect. I think that's a, a great uh, note to end on for now. I, I have a feeling that we can do this for hours, and I also have a feeling we'll, we'll do this again sometime soon. Yeah, it's likely, yeah. and I'd like to, um, to have uh, a, a bit more writing up on the site pretty soon. If I could... Um, if I could just add uh, add one more thing, I, I guess what I'd really like um, for people to take away from this episode is I in, in a lot of ways, I'm just like them. I, I was just a person who, who listened to the podcast and, and wanted to have lucid dreams. And, um, you know, it can happen to you, too, that uh, you just get so into it that uh, that it really takes off. Um, one of the, the real benefits of the lucid dreaming community is, is it's still small enough that um, you can do what I did and, and just kind of pester people involved in it um, to learn more and to help them out with things. I, I mean, I did a tiny bit of proofreading for uh, for Tim Post and um, and Robert Wagner's uh, publication and stuff like that. Uh, lucid dreaming as a field, um, maybe not so much the um, the hardcore science going on, but um, but the educators they're very open to that kind of thing. So anyone um, who really wants to get involved and, and just immerse themselves in uh, in the topic, those those avenues are still open. Yeah, I, I love that. I think uh, I, I'm all for getting rid of the notion of sort of expert lucid dreamers as people who are somehow unique. Uh, I mean, again, barring the, the occasional natural lucid dreamers that probably can't even teach you because it happens to them naturally. Uh, I'm all for getting rid of the, the stature of experts because it's all just other people who have tried and have stumbled and maybe have learned from some other people's technique and figure out their own techniques and stumble their way upon a more regular practice and regular occurrence of lucid dreaming. And that applies to everybody else. So, and then, you know, that's why I said on the very first episode I recorded, I said, look, I'm not an expert. I have experience and I have enthusiasm like no one else perhaps, but that's, but that's it. It's just, it's just a matter of your uh, interest uh, in it and, and, and to some degree dedication in, in trying it, but it's just people 
trying to do the same thing and, and achieving more or less success. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have a, a astoundingly regular job. I, I like watching basketball. I, I, you know, there's a lot of ways in which it, it doesn't get any more typical than, um, than the life I'm living. And, and that's totally fine. That, that is a, a perfectly adequate container in which to, um, to nurture a really uh, exciting and fulfilling lucid dream practice. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to link your, so you're writing now on, on lucidstage.com and I'm, I'm going to link to your current article and soon you'll have another one up where, where else can people find you? Uh, Twitter, which, um, which is lucid scheming with all the vowels removed. So that might not be um, the easiest thing to just type out. We can put that, uh, we can put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Twitter is probably the yeah, easiest no way. If um, you want to contact me through the, the lucid dreaming site um, in the probably not near future, uh, I'll, I'll have my own um, life coaching practice. And a big thing that I want to tackle is, uh, is lucid dreaming as well as, um, you know, sleep disorders and uh, nightmares, insomnia, things like that, with, with the understanding that I'm not a medical doctor, um, that that'll be something I'm pursuing. So I, I'd be happy to, to hear from anyone about that kind of thing, or um, just about anything else uh, related to lucid dreaming and meditation. Those are, are my two real passions right now. So Certainly, I, I'd love to um, hear from anyone who um, this conversation may have resonated with. Very cool. Awesome. All right. I'll put all these. Sorry, that can be done through, I guess, the contact section of, um, of Lucid Sage, I would think. That didn't really answer that question. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll link and I'll link to your, your website. I'm sure you have a contact form there as well. Um, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming on the podcast and being a part of, uh, of, of all this uh, craziness. It's, it's great. Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this interview and this episode. I will be back soon with more interviews and some more good, fun information. And until then, you can reach me at the Lucid Sage on Twitter or contact at lucidsage.com via email. Until next time, sweet and lucid dreams.